right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of the Couch with Raw Fields. I'm your host, Raw Fields, and today we have a legendary guest on the show. <laughs> we have a Hall of Fame guest on the show. And we have an all-around good person on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Abiola Webara. <laughs> yeah, you. yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How you doing? Thank you for having me. How you doing? I've been good. How about yourself? Just out here living, uh, trying to figure out life after basketball. Aren't we all? <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, try to put the pieces together. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And listen, Abiola, I want to say to before we even get into it, I want to say thank you because you have me on your platform. We want Instagram yeah. Live, and we were talking about life after professional basketball, how to adjust, what are some of the things that you were going through, what are some of the things that I was thinking, because I, I had been playing at that time, right? Yeah. And uh, just by going on your platform and speaking about certain things, it a light bulb, a light bulb clicked in my head. I'm glad, and, I'm it, glad. Yeah, and it started with your with your platform. So, you know, I didn't have the infrastructure or how I was going to do it or what it looked like. But, you know, when it came time for me to receive that information, I had already had the confidence because it started with you. So oh, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was a really pivotal moment in me starting this platform and, you know, kind of doing what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. that's like a testimony. <laughs> I love Hello. it. Hello. Hello. And it started with you for sure. So, so but usually when I bring people on the show, um, I like to go through the life story and the process and kind of bring us to the present. But this time I'm going to start with, with, with the Hall of Fame. You, <laughs> Hall of Heaviola. All right. So. Hall of Fame. You just got into the Hall of, in the Baylor University Hall of Fame. So actually, about that. it's not, it's not exactly the Hall of Fame. It's the okay. Baylor Legend Award. Oh, so well, legend, they, legend, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so basically what they did, um, some of the alumni, that some of the people that run the alumni groups wanted to recognize some of the players that were not necessarily like Hall of Fame from like, you know, on paper, but, okay. uh, but you know, did a lot for the program. Um Oh, that's nice. So they asked that's me if I wanted to come and receive it, which, you know, I was excited to. Um, and the, the crazy part was when I actually went there to get the award, A, there were a lot of fans that still were like, Abby, I was like, yo, it's been 20 years. Like, what else do you know? <laughs> but, um, but B, I found out I have records at Baylor. I didn't know I had. So when they were reading the list of things that I've done, I was like, oh, wait, I did that. Like, I did not know. So that was really cool. All right. So can you tell me some, some of those records that you that you knocked down? Uh, so it was. I was. Uh, I'm still top ten uh, shot blocks at Baylor, and I believe top fifteen rebounds. Those are two I could hear. I couldn't really hear what they were saying. But when they, I was like, "Wait, really? I didn't know. I was just out here playing, and I was just happy to be here. <laughs> just out here hooping. <laughs> just out here doing my thing, you know. Oh yeah, Baylor legend. Yeah, congrats on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, That's the a major accomplishment. Oh, okay. All right. I see you. I see you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but congrats. 
And uh, this this is where we make this 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 connection. So you were not born in the United States of America. You ended up in Waco. Tell me about life before Baylor University playing back. Tell me about your life. Like how how who was young? Yeah, Ab- Abiola. Yeah, so I was born in Italy, um, Parma, Italy. And for the old school basketball heads, you will know that Parma was the city when it came to pro basketball in Italy back in the day. Like Cynthia Cooper okay. and all of them was out there. They oh, won yeah, all the that- cups that you could possibly win, right? Um, my parents are from Nigeria, so they came to Italy to go to school or whatever. So me and my brother were born there. Uh, so in Italy, we don't have high school sports. Uh, you either play club or you don't play at all. Um, and I kind of stumbled randomly on basketball. Like I didn't grow up knowing anything. Nigerian family, they watch soccer. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> so I knew right, nothing right, about right. basketball. Right. And I stumbled upon it. And um, I started playing and I just loved it right away. Like I tried volleyball, I tried track, I tried swimming. None of them either was for me or I just didn't like them. And so basketball yeah. was the one that resonated with me. So I started playing when I was... 12 and a half, almost 13. So kind of late, really. Wow, late bloomer. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So I started playing and then, you know, grew up in Italy. I was pretty much the most athletic person <laughs> everywhere I went. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that kind of helped as far as me getting to be pushed up and practice with the first division team, which is where the professional comes, right? So all the people that go play overseas they always have like the youngins on the team. So I was the youngin on the team, you know, with, like I said, like, I remember for sure, you know, Cynthia Cooper, Tisha Pintero, Yolanda Griffin, like all those players were there. And that's where were my... They, were they there doing your... Well, no, by the time... Were they there by the time you came up? Yeah, no, I was a kid. I was still at 14 when they were playing professionals. Like they're 10 years older than me almost, right? Yeah. So I was on the team practicing with them. Jeez, and then, you know, I was crazy. on the team, but I wouldn't be playing because, you know, what's the team going to be playing instead of them? Of but I'll be practicing with them. And that's kind of where I was like, yo, I want to be like them. Like, I want to play in college. I want to do what they did to get whatever they are. I want to be paid like the Americans when they come over here. Like, so that's kind of where my little light bulb about, okay, what, how do I do this kind of came about. So, so tell me about that, like being in such a legendary company, because as we can speak as athletes, right? the 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 access is big mm-hmm. so having access to that type of knowledge to seeing players with with that high of skill level what what was it like being around them did they give you little nuggets of information or did they uh you know give you the the tough love like how 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 was it being around those types of players it was a combination of the both right so some of the players I mean, they were still young themselves, right? They were 20, 25. So there's not necessarily, right. you're not necessarily your mentoring stage of life at that point. Um, but so some of them were like more so just like there, you know, supportive, like do your thing, like cheer me on, et cetera. But I will say the very first one where I felt more of a mentoring was Cynthia because, again, I was the only black kid on the team, like kid-wise, like children-wise. So she pretty much took me under her wing. Every time she went on the track, she's like, you're going to be running next to me. Every time with this, you, that you better be first. So she kind of pushed me. Um, so that was like the first nugget. And then, uh, there was another player and name was Janice Lawrence. And I'll never forget because this was not necessarily basketball related. It was more like 
you growing up, womanhood related. But I never forget, she was like, okay, well, you're 13 now. You need to start shaving your armpits because when you do this, people can see. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was like the mom on the team, right? I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> but that was funny to me because I was like, yo, it's like 360 uh, <laughs> advice I, I get the, over here. I love the honesty because I've been in that situation over here too. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, Abiola, I, I, I didn't say anything. But in my mind, I was like, yo, like, <laughs> come on, man. Like, but but yeah. no, that, no, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I didn't know no better. I don't, I didn't never play sports before. You know, I'm still a kid, like that little puberty stage. Just like, oh, sure, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, like a, a big player that helped me was uh, Rusha Brown when she was here. Um, when she was in Italy, basically I told her, "Hey, what do you need to do for college?" And she kind of break it down for me. Is that like, you need to take the SATs, you need to talk, you know, start sending tapes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that was when it became a little bit more like proactively actually trying and at that point i was 16 17. so i had two years left in high school and she kind of helped me with those steps and that's kind of how it all started for real for real okay so before we get to the transitional stage so tell me about growing up black in italy (laughs) and 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 i'm and i'm asking you this question because i'm i'm over in europe right now and I, I know a couple kids that they have some alternative experiences. So here where I, where I am, I wouldn't necessarily call it racism, but I would call it racial insensitivities. Yeah. Like people just making jokes, trying to be funny. It's, it, it's not really malice behind it, but they just don't understand what it feels yeah. like to be the only one in the room who looks different, right? Yeah. So did, did you experience that in Italy coming up? Italy is straight up racist. There's no insensitivity. It's just racism. Like, well, there you go. I experienced <laughs> that since the day I could walk outside. Like I've seen. So yeah, Italy is a lot. Uh, that was part of the reason why I wanted to live because I felt like I'm a super chill person. Like I enjoy life. But when I, every time I go to Italy, I just turn into angry because you have mm. to be on ready mode to cut somebody out. Um mm. You know, there's a lot of prostitution, unfortunately, in Italy. And it comes from all sides of the world, right? Like you have Eastern Europeans, you have Brazilians, you have Nigerians. But for whatever reason, they associate every black woman to being a prostitute. So me, 13, walking to the gym in sweats, being solicited by grown men. It's like, excuse you? Sick. And, uh, you know, and I'm Italian, so I speak Italian. So every time I get a rebuttal in Italian, they get all frazzled. Oh, I was just going to the gas station. Like, no, you were not. You were just talking trash. And now you feel stupid because I understand what you said. Um, yeah. I got called on kind of monkeys that during the game, <laughs> my coach loved telling this story for whatever reason, but during the game, I was 16 at the time and we were just whooping the other team and the parents started getting angry cause I was playing well and they started calling me all kinds of N word and monkey and this and that. So I never forget. It was a flex play. You know, you pass the ball, you go down for a screen oh, yeah. instead of yeah. going down for a screen. I jet straight from, for the for the stands. I was ready to climb and go get the lady because like, why are you cussing me out? Like, we're just playing basketball. So that was my first one. Then it happened again when I was playing professionally already. Uh, we were playing against Como and the fans just like calling me because of N-word and all that. Um, it became a big case. You know, the national team was behind me and trying to be supportive. And But yeah, it really was a very tiring place to grow up in as a black person. 
Yeah, and and that's actually the narrative that I've heard, right? And I think, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Balotelli? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he went through the same thing. He went through the same thing, and it was very public. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the Champions League had to get into, the. they had to go into investigations, and now mm-hmm. they have this whole big uh, advertising uh, run where they, you know, saying no racism and they're putting the hashtag on the jerseys and all of this stuff, right? But yeah. it's for good reason because it's real. It's not a myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I wanted to ask you that because I've heard it straight up. Like, it, it's it's bad. It is. It's bad. And it's bad till this day. Like twenty twenty three is still bad. There is no evolution happening. That's the problem. Yeah, no, no hashtags is gonna st- solve it's the problem. Not. It's it's just culturally, right? Like the yeah. newer generation are more are more open. They travel more and understand that people are people. Skin colors are making a difference. But Italy is a very old school country, um, and that's what you, that's what you get. Like they still do blackface on TV for for goodness sake. Like on TV, <laughs> yeah. So like you know the show, um, it's kind of like uh, what is it called? Like a karaoke show? Like we have it here too, where. You pretend um, to be another singer. Ah, uh, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. I got the name so they do that. And this lady decided she wants to be Beyonce, but she went and get blackface. Like, you can just sing without turning just your sing skin black. sing the song. Yeah. Um, so they still do stuff like that and think it's funny, which till this day, I don't understand why they don't get it. But they don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, we so I'll, I'll kind of expound on this conversation. So over here, like I said, it's it's insensitivities, right? So it's not. I, I don't feel there's any any malice behind it. But when a person tries to make that joke in the room, I, I come to a crossroads. Do I turn up, or do I just kind of give them a look to be like, seriously? And I've seen people do this with kids over here because they don't really mm-hmm. do that with me. And they, they try it sometimes, but then, you know, they see my look, see the look on my face. Yeah, yeah, they see they the know. look on my face and I'm just like, bro, don't play with me like that. But uh, I, I see people do this to kids and every time I'm just like, I don't know. I, I don't want kids to feel like that's acceptable because right. it's not funny. It's not. Like everyone not. else, everyone here knows that we're the outliers in the room. Why Why you need to make... I mean, it's we're beautiful, you know. It's it's nothing about that, but it's more so about why are you bringing attention to something that no one else is yeah. even really paying attention to. Right. Just let me be. We we human in this room. Let's carry it like that. So yeah, it annoys me to the core when when I hear people do that, and I start to put yeah. those people in a box as well. You know, I, I classify as you them. Should. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, I, I, I agree. Them. Like that was one thing that. When I was a kid, I always did. I was trying to, I was trying to go, you know, unnoticed. It's kind of hard to do when you're six feet, but <laughs> right, you know. Right, right. But I was trying to just be in my little corner, mind my business, and just be unnoticed because I did, I did not feel like dealing with people every single day with their foolishness, and it, but it still happened. Yeah. So tell me about the transition. All right, it's time for. I mean, you pl- you you get an opportunity to play professionally. The knowledge is being soaked in. Um, the, the your coaches are respecting you now as a real talent. Tell me about your choice because mm-hmm. a lot of European players, you have a choice. Do I continue to go pro and ride this thing out, you know, try to max this out, or do I go to the States and take that step? So tell me about 
your your mindset during that time period? Oh, to me, it was a very easy choice um, because a like I told you earlier, right? I was one of the most athletic players, but I don't think I was that good. I didn't think I was that talented or technically talented, right? So to me, it was a challenge. I needed to play around other folks that were just as athletic to see if I actually can play basketball or I was just jumping over people, you know? So that was step one. And step two was, I know I wanted to get paid playing. And if you play as a homegrown, you don't really get paid. So I knew I had to get out. Yeah, you would have had to leave. Yeah. Yeah. I had to leave, do whatever, you know, was the same trenches that the American players go through so I can come back and actually get paid like they did. Um, so yeah, it was a very easy choice. Um I had uh I had spoken to Baylor already at the time, so I already knew where I was going. Uh so yeah, as soon as they told me that yeah, we want you, okay, well I'm out. (laughs) I graduated high school. I did a tournament in the summer with a national team, and then I was on my way. Did you take a visit to, to Texas, or you just kind of winged it? So, funny enough, so we had had a visit, but it wasn't a visit. I literally, literally showed up. So I went. I came to Houston to visit my uncle. So I went to U of H, but the coach was not there. And then my uncle's wife, or ex-wife, she went to Baylor, and she had to go there for something. I don't remember what. So I just rode with her. And showed up at Coach Monkey's office. And I was like, I want to play college basketball. Um, Straight like that? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew who I was. Then I wasn't getting recruited, so I had to show up somewhere. Were you um, speaking English? I mean, were you speaking fluent yeah, English? Yeah, my at parents the time? are Nigerians, so I spoke English at home. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had a stronger accent, but, you know, language was the language. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I showed up, <laughs> and then. She actually played at La Tech with Janice Lawrence, the lady that told me about my armpits. So she calls Janice. Oh, small world. Okay. Exactly. I didn't know that. I I didn't know. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt you. All right, go ahead. No, I didn't know that. So she calls Janice. Like, hey, this young lady just showed up in my office. She wants to play college basketball. Like, I've never seen her. Like, should I give her a shot? And she's like, yeah, do it before somebody discovers her. She's good. And so that's kind of how it started. Oh man, Miss Janice looking out even after she left the team, probably stopped playing and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was years later. Oh my God, man. That's a that's a beautiful that's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Just like that. Yeah. So what so when you got to America, was the transition hard? <laughs> <laughs> It was. I was so ready to leave my freshman year. It's not even funny. And you were to uh, Texas too, which is not Texas. necessarily a melting pot. <laughs> and Waco at that. So, because I started off in Waco, right? Because I live in Houston now. Houston is super diverse and I love it. But Waco was Waco. Yeah, exactly. Um, and my freshman year, I was a red shirt uh, because of the rules, because I played overseas. I had to sit out some games and then I had surgery. So I ended up being a red shirt. So not playing made it even worse. Uh, but yeah, it was a big culture shock because I mean, yes, I'm black, but the African American culture is very different than Nigerian culture. So that was that shock. Yeah. And then, you know, I spoke British English. I had no idea what half my teammates were saying for the first three months because everything was <laughs> slang. I was like, oh slang. my God. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's, but, it's, uh, fun, it's funny, but I would hate to be in that position. I mean, of course, when we're Americans coming over here. We experienced that at times, right? You know, I played in Spain and yeah. I, I can speak Spanish, but it was just, I, I couldn't catch the slang. 
you know, so I don't know what's going on. They're speaking fast. It's just like, get me out of here. Or at least let me go to my room and call right. somebody from home or something. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. But, um, you know, over time, I was just loving not being the only black person in every room, not being the only black person on my team, not being asked stupid questions because I was black. Like that took over. And I was like, you know what? I will stick this out because I don't want to go back to Italy with all that foolishness. And. Yeah. You know, build strong friendships, like some of the teammates, my my sister still this day. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick around. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about uh, playing for Coach Moki, right? And mm-hmm. before before we start talking about her, because this is another legendary figure in <laughs> basketball that you yeah. you kicked in her door. It was like, I, I'm everything you're looking for, Coach. What's up? It's So... You've been around another legendary basketball figure, but let me ask you this: When LSU played in the Natty Chan- in the national championship, were you cheering for LSU even oh, though yeah, you, I was, you were I better? Was, I, was right. I was. I was. I mean, I was, Coach Mulkey is my coach, so whatever she coaches, I, I'm with it. Yeah, you with it? All right, I yeah. like that. Yeah, but but tell me what it was like playing for her because you talk about the Vivian Stringers, the uh, Pat Summits. You talk about Gino Ariema at UConn, just legendary coaching figures in women's college mm-hmm. basketball. And you also have Coach Kim Mulkey. Tell me about what it's like playing for a coach of that caliber. You know, it's crazy because obviously when she was my coach, she wasn't of that caliber yet, quote unquote, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, she was already like highly regarded because she's someone that's done it as a player, as an Olympian, as a like, college player. Um, so she's done it, right? She's done everything that I wanted to do as a player. Um, but the crazy part is what she did at LSU, she did with us first. Her third year at Baylor, that's I think second or third year at Baylor, that's when we won a championship in 2005. Yep. And that was yep. Baylor's first ever championship. So that tells and, you the type of coach a, And that's, is, a short, right? that's a short time period as well, right? Like yeah. two, two, three seasons to come in, change the culture, get players to buy in, and then – you rocking and rolling all the way to the final four and eventually the championship. That's not easy to do at all. It's not. Of course it takes players, but the players have to buy in. Right. Yeah. So I feel like as a coach, she really takes the best of you and just pushes you to the core. And I mean, it might not work for everyone or some people might hit a wall and just like, I ain't got it. But for me, I, I, I really enjoy playing for her. Um, you know, still, talk to her till this day. Like I have a decent relationship with, you know, I text her congratulations, you know, she was happy and all of that. But yeah. I think it's just the energy that she brings and the passion that she brings that makes you want to be as passionate and as energetic and do the same thing on the floor. Um, I think that's a big part of what makes her who she is. Yeah. And of, of course there has to be a respect that comes along with that, you know, oh, yeah. uh, sure. you know, during her, Louisiana Tech days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she was a legendary point guard playing on a great team. So in order for her to be the lead, the the floor general, if you will, on a mm-hmm. team like that, the players, the, some of the best players we've ever seen, you know, some of the best players in the country at that time had to respect her because she was running yeah. the show, right? Yeah, so now absolutely. she brings that to the coaching side and it just translates mm-hmm. so easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. And I mean... During practice, you know, the, the play in here will kick in sometimes. So she will jump in the layup line. She will jump in on defense. She will just do stuff to, like, antagonize, especially the guards, right? Because, like, 
I'm why old I am. If I get the ball from you, we got a problem. So like she's she still had the player, the player uh, instinct in her too. Yeah, I bet that's fun to see. So yeah, I mean we we so we talked about the national championship. That's not mm-hmm. so. First of all, I mean you understand this, but a lot of people that are watching this, they may not understand this. Out of thousands of schools, you're number one. You're the top dog. A lot of things have to happen for you to even sniff the final four, right? So tell me about what it's like to be on a national championship team in major division one college basketball. So first I'm going to say part of the things that had to happen for us to get there are really painful in my memory (laughs) because preseason that year, uh, the year we won, we had lost in the Sweet 16 the year prior to Tennessee in a very yeah. like dramatic way, like 0. 0.20 seconds, foot on the line that was not on the line. So that was like Coach Smokey's way for us to seek revenge, right? So the whole year, we're thinking about how we got robbed of the game. On the re- and revenge tour. Was, mm-hmm, yeah, preseason was brutal. You know, like we went hard. And I think we had one of the most cohesive teams, like, I think halfway through the season, we could play defense without even talking to each other. Like somebody would send somebody to the corner. Here comes somebody else from behind, steal the ball, trap, whatever. Like we had it like all machine, right? Wow. So all that translated into why we made it so far. Like funny enough, the year that we won the championship, we were down 28 at a half in the final four against LSU. So that was the LSU of Simone Augustus, Sylvia Fowles, like the legends. The crazy thing is I remember. The crazy thing is I remember watching these games heavy oh, wow. and now we're conversing about the games, you know, because I've always been a big women women's college basketball fan. I mean, going back to the days of Rebecca Lobo, Shamiko Holesclaw, mm-hmm. you know, way back on up to even now, you know, the, the young girls are getting to it and, you know, it's it's, it's still great basketball. Mm-hmm. But Simone Augustus at that time was my favorite women's basketball player at that time because she was just different. Like, she she reminded me of Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't need many dribbles. She had great size. She had handle. I mean, and she just could get a bucket. Like, she was just fun yeah. to watch. So, the, yeah, so the fact that we talking about yeah, this stuff is is still blowing my mind. So tell yeah. me about so let's go into the twenty eight being down twenty eight. Like let's let's talk about how about that game, how you all were <laughs> able to pull it together. Honestly, it was like Coach Monkey came in the locker room. She didn't yell. She didn't scream. She was like, "Y'all getting embarrassed on national TV? Figure it out." And left. That's all she said. At halftime. I was just about to ask you that. What halftime was like. I mean, we had to do it to ourselves. What else could she say? She was right. We were getting embarrassed on national TV. And, you know, yeah, we came out and we were like, you know what? And that was the best game I had. It, like, that was my best game in the tournament. Like, the the the, the second half of the the final four, the semifinal. Right. Uh, I was tasked on guarding Simone. So, that was my uh, that was my task. But I was also, like, scoring. So, we, I don't know what we did, but we woke up and shut it down and went on the whatever zero run and ended up winning the um, – the game, and then the next game we played against Michigan State, and that was like an easier win. And like smacked them. As... Yeah. <laughs> Y'all were about like almost 30, right? Yeah. It? Yeah. I think yeah. 69. It was, it was a big game. I can't remember how crazy. much, but it was. Maybe 19 yeah, it was, or something like that. Yeah. 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 
But wow. uh, but that feeling was amazing. Playing in front of thirty five thousand people, it's yeah, I can I can't describe that feeling. I'm getting chills right now just listening to <laughs> I you. Know, I'm just thinking about, about it. Stuff. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy how we as players get put into these situations, and it's it's almost an out of body experience, right? Because mm-hmm. there's so much going on around you. I mean. A lot of people don't understand that when you're playing on TV, there's like 48 timeouts, like you know, so it's always killing the momentum. Right. You know, uh, they don't understand that, you know, it's so loud. You can, you know, you can talk on defense, but you have to do hand signals, yeah. especially if it gets crazy. And, you know, your coach is over there, you know, she's doing all this. And, you know, you can't hear oh, anything. Crazy, so, yeah. so what you have to do is just go back to your preparation. That's all you can do because yeah. there's so many stimulants going on at one time. And the only thing that you can go back to is preseason. And I mean, of course, the hours that were put in before that, but it goes back to your preseason. Mm-hmm. And you you all just said, we're just going to live and die with what got us here. And yeah. I mean, it ended up getting you in a great position because the hardest matchup was LSU and then, mm-hmm. you know, everything just aligned, right? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So what what was the celebration like when y'all got back to Waco? Did you was it, it was crazy. We had a whole parade on Corvettes, throwing stuff at the fans. And then I think for like the next summer, every time we went somewhere to eat, by the time we asked for the check, they would tell us the check was already paid. Like honestly, I didn't pay for food for I don't know how long, just because of people were secretly paying for our food. It was just so like so much love from everyone in the city. And then you know we had like the statute our... of the statute of uh, limitations is already up, so they can't come back. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> also, we didn't know, so it's not like you can't. You know, I mean, they, they, yeah. I don't know who did it. Yeah, right, um, right. But yeah, so it was it was just getting so much love from everyone, and just yeah, it was we were like riding high for a very long time until you had to like get up and just like, all right, well, new season, like forget what happened yeah. and see if you can do it again. Yes, yeah, got to snap out of it quick, right? Yeah. Because you go from being the hunter to being the hunted, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, nobody knew Baylor at the time, right? We were the underdog. We were ranked third when we won. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. So so you go through your college career. It's 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 decorated. We can, we can say that. We could go into the numbers. We can go into the film, and we can see that you really put that work in. What? Was your initial thought pro ball like all right? I'm going back into the into the fire again. You know, I'm going to do this again. Was, was it straight away pro ball? Or were you kind of on the fence? Like, do I want to continue to do this? How how did that that process work itself out? No, yeah, it was definitely pro ball. I know I knew that when I changed my major because I started off as pre med, and then I was like, well, I'm not going to medical school after this because I'm going to go play. So trying to get that paper, up. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I, I mean, in hindsight, I should have become a doctor would have made more money, but my heart was in the right place. So I'm okay with right, my choice. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so yeah, I wanted to play. So I didn't use my rest year, which is the only thing I regret because if I had, I would have been drafted, but I didn't want to use it because I was already older, uh, coming from overseas. We have five years of high school. So I was already older than my teammates. So using a fifth year would have made me extra older and I didn't feel like it. Yeah. So I didn't use my rest year, so I didn't get drafted. Um, 
I went to a training camp with LA, pretty much made it to the last day. And then they called me for another player that came from Europe. And after that, I told my agents, like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Summertime, I'll play with the national team. And then I'll just play overseas. Like, I don't want to be bothered with that because I felt like it was politics at some point. Um, of course. And the person that they, you know, the person that took my spot was also European and they ended up leaving because she wasn't happy with not playing. I'm going to make you play me eventually. So I didn't care, like, if I wasn't playing, you know what I mean? Like, I would have found my way to the court. Yeah. So I was over that. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I kind of feel that way on the on the men's side of things, too. And I mean, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do, right? Yeah. But when I see a lot of these really talented guys, you know, with great ability and, you know, just they just understand the game. When I see them sit in the G League for seven years and then decide to play overseas, I'm just like, I know you one step away from the league, but you at some point in time, you need to go where you appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. eventually, if you kill it, I mean, if, if you do it well enough, the league is, they're going to come get you anyway. We've seen it a number right. of times, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, For me, of course, I was never on that level where I was about to get drafted or, you know, anything like that. But as soon as I was offered, offered an opportunity to play in the that at that time, it was the, the D League. Mm-hmm. I was like, nah, man, I rolled the dice overseas. Like, screw yeah. that. I'm not trying to be in Iowa or, <laughs> you know, some random city, yeah. <laughs> you know, just ch- chasing this, you know, this 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 dream of maybe getting an opportunity. I'd rather roll the dice and, you know, just kind of see, you know, see some yeah. other stuff, get some new experiences, that type of stuff. So where, where was your first thought when you got over here? Uh, in Israel. I played in Israel three years, right after college. A lot of people love Israel. Did you love it? I did. I, it was, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I feel like that's the worst place to start because then everything else is going to suck in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I really loved it because A is a very small country, so you're able to connect with all the Americans and the other teams, and we created like small families, so like, we'll get together for Thanksgiving and Christmas because you know we don't have Christmas over there. And yeah, not always right. we get to travel home. And when we do, we do. But if we didn't, we will get together. And then it's a very, I mean, in my 20s, I was partying. So it's a great place to party, right? There's a club hey. every night. You know, <laughs> uh, we played on Mondays. So we will go out Monday night. And then Thursday night, because Friday is Shabbat, so nothing happened. So it was always something to do. It was fun. Um, the locals were really cool. Like their teammates, like invite us over for Shabbat dinner. Like the, the food was amazing. Oh, um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I mean, me being me, I went into classes to learn Hebrew, so I kind of wanted to be more involved with the culture and stuff. But no, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, that's my biggest problem right now. Uh, Abiola, I love food, so <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to. You know, just manage that part of my life. So I can only imagine if I was playing in Israel, I would have to go to the gym, get some extra shots up just to balance that stuff out. Balance it out. <laughs> yeah, because I'll be grubbing. That's 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 my that's my pastime right now. <laughs> so o- over your career, you you did some some really cool stuff. You got to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, something changed, and 
I'm sure you were you could have played longer, but something inside your head was like maybe my career has run its course. What what happened during that time? Yeah, I think it was like my body was starting to give me signals like I'm not gonna last much longer. So you better figure it out while you can. Um, okay. I had surgery in my knee four times on the same knee, so I knew that was coming to an end. Was it like a meniscus or? I started off as an ACL, then a couple of meniscus, and then just like a clean-up situation because stuff in there was just cranking and making noises and just locking up and stuff. Oh, no. Um, so that was the first indication. So what I ended up doing, I wanted to make sure basketball was giving me back one more last time. Uh, so I actually went and played in England. Uh, England is not like a great league by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew that the, a lot of teams have relationship with universities. So I emailed the coach okay. and I was like, hey, I'm at Biola. This is blah, 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 blah. If you pay for my master's, I'll pay for you because I know you guys are not, you know, don't have the budget that I'm used to. And I'm okay with a pay cut as long as somebody can pay for my master's. And um, just so happened that he was the coach of the British national team too. So we played against each other with Italy. So he was like, oh, I know exactly who you are. And yes, we want to do this. <laughs> um, so he paid for my master's and accommodations. I wasn't getting a salary or anything, like a little stipend for food, but I thought it was a worth it was worth it as a um, sacrifice to at least set myself up for my next stage of life. Wow. That, that's very, I mean, you had a, uh some forethought there like you a lot of a lot of people would not take that risk because of course you know life happens and stuff but we get caught up in the money aspect of it mm -hmm. we don't necessarily place the correct weight on an experience like that yeah like I, I i experienced something similar when i came over here like i just when i first got the offer my first offer i was like heck no and then I ran it by my mother's desk at that time. And she was like, dude, you tripping. You looking at it from the wrong angle. And, you know, 13 years later, you know, I'm still still kicking up dust over here. There you go. But, you know, again, it's it's for you to have that that image in your head to say, okay, this is what's being presented to me, but for mm -hmm. where I want to go. Yeah, sign me. We'll we'll make yeah. it work. How how did that last season go? Did you did you feel like you played well or it wasn't even a priority I mean, at that time? I played well for so it's funny because I had to play for two teams, right? I had to play for the professional team, that was the one that was paying for the college. And then I had to play for the college team because they kind of combined the, the scholarship and it was weird. The college team was very frustrating because it was like playing with children. Um, the level of Why basketball, right? It was not. That? I don't know. It was weird. Um, I had to tell the coach at the university because they were doing like drills, like learning how to dribble. I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, I mean, no disrespect, but I can help you coach the team. But I'm not about to start over. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you that. Like, why didn't they just ask you to coach the team? Because she did. They didn't know. They didn't know. Um, like even their like the knowledge of basketball outside of the university circles, I don't think was very big. And I mean, I think if we were to compare it to something that we might have here, I would say it's like maybe like a rack basketball, if that, but like, yeah, or, yeah. or junior varsity, maybe the level. Um, right. So that was frustrating. But with the professional team, I actually enjoyed it more because 
most of the kids on those teams were young kids that wanted to go play college in the U.S. So I was able to have more of a mentoring relationship with them. Um, they were all very talented. They played hard. They were just very young. Um, so from that point of view, I played well. You know, I had double doubles, et cetera, et cetera. But it was funny because that amount of effort that was taking me to that there was very different than what it took me when I was playing in other countries. So I don't know if I can say I was playing well. <laughs> it was just not the same level of of competitiveness. But for that being my last season playing, you know, I, I'm not unhappy with it, I guess I could say. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that last season. My last season was kind of like that. You know, I wanted to get a championship and do all that type of stuff. But when it when it didn't work out, I did not cry. Like I was just like, <laughs> "Well, it's you know, it <laughs> we, we tried." Yeah. Uh, so when you stopped um, with 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 that basketball experience, was your first thought to go back to the states, or did you consider staying in in London, or um, what, what no, was your thought process everything. at that time? Yeah, no, everything was uh, set up for me to come back here. Uh, I had no intention of staying in London. I don't like London. I mean, it's cool city to visit, but not to live in. And it's also very expensive. Okay. Uh, my brother lives there. He's been there for 20 plus years. And I don't know how or why, but hey, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, I was setting myself up to come back here. Um, so I did like, well, I studied international business management. And I had uh, taken the LSAT and got accepted into law school here as a plan B, just in case I didn't, if I didn't find a job that paid me what I wanted to be paid in a certain amount of time, I was going to go to law school. Um, luckily, it took me a year, but I did get a job that I could, you know, that gave me what I was looking for as far as career growth and salary and et cetera. Um, so I deferred law school because that would have been the first time where I had to pay for school and that's an expensive school. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. So what what was that transition like for you? And we we talked about it before, but you yeah. know, we we gonna move it over here, you know. What yeah. was, what was that transition transition like? Um being a full time basketball player since you were twelve, thirteen years old to now working on someone else's dime and having a clock in and, you know, being in this new atmosphere, was it, was it tough on you? It was very tough. And honestly, the hardest part of the transition was actually before I got this job, because I spent the year like really hustling, like selling my art, driving Uber, doing like favors. It's like something similar to Uber. Um, so I was just hustling and driving around with my resume in my car, hoping to meet people to like give it to them. Because I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know what I love. I didn't know what I didn't love to do outside of basketball. Um, you know, I went to interview. I had like an internship. It was just <laughs> doing a lot, trying to figure out where yeah. I fit in. Um, and then I ended up getting this job. And I'm wor I work as a consultant. Well, I'm a manager now. But, you know, it's a consulting work, consulting world. So it's um, technology. We work for like big clients to help them figure out how to either, you know, make digital changes or in, make improvements for the customers and things like that. So I like the fact that it's not the same thing on a day-to-day -day basis. We work in teams and it's something learned, like new to learn every single time. So that helped the transition because it wasn't something that was static. 
that I, that was afraid to be on, right? It wasn't like go sit on the office all day and do the same thing over and over. That helped. Yeah. So when usually when we are are processing this information as former athletes, we're like we 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 adapt. So mm-hmm. for you, you didn't play for the same team for fifteen seasons, right? You 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 mm-hmm. had to make that that adaptation to to new mm-hmm. places, so it translates. How do if if you have some advice for players? Because you gave me the same advice. If you have some advice for former athletes going through this process, what would be some advice that you could lend to them to say it's okay, you'll be all right? Yeah. So one thing for sure, and I also had to learn that myself, is that don't try to hide who you are, right? For me, it was I was trying to not be the athlete, just to present myself as the professional. But being an athlete is actually an asset, right? Because like you just said, right, we have to adapt every year as a new team, a new country, a new environment, a new culture. We have leadership qualities, right? So everything that we do on the court translates in, in the business world, in the corporate world, and whichever world you want to be in. It's just a matter of like attaching yourself to those skills that you know you have. If you're a point guard, you run a team. So you have management capabilities, right? right? If, I don't know, you are a defensive player, you are not selfish. So you are able to work in teams. And so there's different ways that you can make basketball work for you outside of basketball. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this. So in your, I guess you could call it a low period for that, for that year where you would kind of just making moves, making plays, right? How were you able to eliminate your ego in that moment? Because when you're working for Uber and you're bouncing around and you're just trying to make ends meet, you could easily say, God dang it, I won a freaking national championship. Like, <laughs> do you know who I am? Like, I played professionally for X amount of years. I I, I, I sat on this, I, I was on the same court as Cynthia Cooper and Tisha Pinatero. Like, do you know who I, how, how were you able to check yourself and say, this is only a season? Or did yeah. you? Like, how, how did that work? No, I definitely had to check myself plenty of times. Um, and I think what helped me was, like you said, like this is just one season for what I want to do in the future. Um, it helped that I gave myself a timeline. So I was like, I have a year to do this. So it's either I get a job or I go to school, but I'm not about to do this longer than a year. So it was also a hard, that, time, you know, like, a hard timeline. Yeah, I had to give it a hard time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also had, I have great friends, well, had great friends um, that lived in Houston. So they were like a very so big support as far as like, keeping me, keeping me on check, you know? Um, So yeah, that, that kind of helped as well. And at one point I was working as a personal trainer. And so that's where I learned more of like networking. So I was trying to pick things up from these little hustles that I was doing that would actually help me, you know, get myself ready for a career somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. And and I mean, that's important. Like, Abiel, I see so many players that, Maybe I played with at one point, or maybe I saw coming up during my period who were older than me and they killed it, you know, top this, top that, scoring this and scoring that. And I see them now on on the socials, right? And I, I almost feel sad for them. Yeah. Because they could never eliminate the ego. 
mm-hmm. during their transition. Yeah. And they still hold on to, uh, I don't know, 45 points in this game 25 <laughs> years ago. Or, you know, hey, I want a, you know, championship in this, that, in that place. Yeah. And when you, you know, just kind of see what they're doing, it's almost like, dang, man, like, Nobody cares about what we did until, you know, the conversation comes up. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is right now. It doesn't. And honestly, I feel like that was part of me being Italian and Nigerian also. Um, I think it's a very American thing where, you know, all your accolades and all of fame this and the rings and like, um, we don't celebrate it as much overseas, right? You've done it. Congratulations. What's next? Right. Um, it's not as big of like um, keeping that going for you in the future. Right. It's, it's more so something that happened at some point in your life. OK, move on. <laughs> and yeah, I think right, that's part right. of the culture that helped me kind of like not get stale into that mindset and just thinking about, OK, well, that was great. But what do I have to do next? Because um, I think that's what helped me as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really that's a really important part of making the transition real. And and if I can lend my side of it, you know, to athletes and it doesn't have to be basketball. When you're making this transition, you have to eliminate your ego because you're going to go to a low place. People not going to really respect what you're doing when you first get out. It's going to be tough, especially if you're not transitioning during the career. Yeah. You know, when you when you kind of uh, delay the transition process, it's tough. Now, there yeah. are some athletes who start that process early, but I didn't have yeah. any professional athletes before me who told me, hey, Rob, I know you're in your second season, but think about this. So fortunately, two years ago, I started, you know, kind of wrapping my mind around the, the idea of stopping. Yeah. But, you know, who knows what could have happened had I started I don't know, working in communications. Yeah. Five years ago, you know, who knows? But yeah, you go to a low point and you have to eliminate your ego because when you get into this other world, no one cares about the basketball stuff. Yeah. I mean, of course it's it's something to talk about, but you know, it doesn't have any impact on um, what we're doing. But let let me ask you this. So Mm -hmm. you, you made reference to it earlier. Um, You talked about your art. All right. When when did art come into your life? Was it something that you had from a young age or was it something that you kind of latched on to throughout this basketball whirlwind that you went on? Yeah, no, I had it as a young age. That was like my way of making gifts, right? So you know how as a kid, you don't have the money. So either you ask your parents for money to buy them gifts or you make them gifts. I was the make gifts kid. Okay, Um, nice, nice. So I'll, you know, I'll draw and paint. And then we have art classes in, you know, pretty much every grade school in Italy. Um, and I always enjoyed it because it was a, like a class where nobody was talking to you. I could put my little walkie talkies. I just aged myself. Your <laughs> 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 walkie talkies on and listen to music and just draw whatever the professor told y'all to draw that day. Um, so once I stopped playing basketball, that was the cool thing that that was the one thing I can take with me any country I will go to. I could just, you know, bring my colors and I can always buy paper somewhere or, you know, canvases. Yeah. Um, 
And it was a good way for me because on a court, I'm a very aggressive player, but I'm a very chill person in real life. So it was a cool way because, you know, after games or whatnot, I could just go home and paint and kind of like level set myself. Cool down. Myself right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, now now you're turning it into a business. Like, I mean, of yeah. course you're doing, you, you have your full-time job that, that you're doing. And I mean, you know, that's that, but you've turned this into a passion now. Like it's something that's real. Like what, yeah. how, what made you go public with your art? Because a lot of artists, they, they, they think so highly of it or they, they critique it so much that they don't want to give it to others. What, how did that process start where you said, okay, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give this to the people. Yeah. For me, it was the second. I was one of those critiques so much that I didn't want to really share it, which is more for me. Um, but once I started sharing it with some with my teammates and like, so what well, basically overseas, the first two places where my art started getting some visibility was in Italy when I was playing in Toronto, well, the managers came to the house for their, you know, to fix something up. It's like, oh my God, you made this? Like, yeah. Like, oh, I know artists. I'm pretty sure they're going to do like a solo show if you want to. So long story short, a restaurant that's closed on Sundays that opened up put up all my art on the wall, this older artist that I'm still cool to this day, like, like a mentor, um, helped me curate that, right? So to me, initially, it was like, you know, I was sharing on Instagram here and there, or well, Facebook, I guess, at the time, and the fans will like it. But to me, it was more like, well, you like it just because you like me as a basketball player. You don't really like my work. <laughs> but then when it started to see like actual responses coming from everywhere, I was like, oh, wait, y'all actually like this work. Like, okay, cool. So somebody was like, you should create a website. I was like, all right so i started doing that and then over the years it kind of expanded that way but i think the initial push was the art show that I did in toronto and then when i was playing in spain a journalist did like an interview and again they came to the house for the interview they saw the art so they wanted to implement it because they were saying you know we don't really get a lot of athletes that do stuff outside of basketball so it's cool to be able to marry the two things so they ended up doing the article and actually put it in the arts and whatever section of the of the newspaper so those okay. were little things that kind of helped me get validation i guess in some way and kept me pushing with the art and keep moving forward with it yeah to let you know that it was real yeah 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 i mean it's 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 tough to let go of course i'm not an artist in in you know i'm not a i'm not an artist i mean i tried it and i thought i was going to be that and then i got lined up with some other artists in my in my high school class and they blew me out the water they self we did a self-portrait yeah there's kill mine i was like yeah maybe i should just stick to basketball but I, but I but i was actually kind of going through this um when it came to this podcast abiola like i i it's tough. It's tough to put your stuff out there and just let it be. Yeah. It's tough because you want everyone to love it. And maybe people won't even bat an eye at it or whatever. But I think at least for me, and you know, maybe you feel the same way. Once you once you put your once you put your soul into the work, um, and you put it out there, even one view for me is enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like just one view or one like, or just me completing the task. Because for you, you're taking information from your brain and you're putting it onto a canvas. Like that's success in itself, right? 
-hmm. you made it real and uh you know for you to do that and and now have it be a real thing with some substance and some weight behind it is is great yeah and congrats congrats on that of course you've been doing it for a while but just congratulations for executing you know but no like the plan yeah no and like what you said right it's like just like you said like the one like it's funny because I actually have an example. Last weekend I did the show. I was part of uh, Art in the Park here in Houston. And there was this person that kept coming back, right? They wanted to buy a piece. It was a little more expensive than what they wanted. But it was like, you know, I have to really make this decision. I was like, I told him, like, you know, honestly, just the fact that you came here and talked to me about this piece and told me that you like it, I'm already happy. If you buy it, it's a bonus. But just the fact that you tell me how much you care about this piece and you came back three times because you're trying to figure out if you want to pay for it or not, I'm, I'm happy, appreciative of that. And, um, and I, I mean, I meant that, like, I honestly feel like, well, like you said, is that that one, like, or just someone that telling you what they feel about your, your artwork. I think that's, that's huge. Yeah. So Abiola, like on, on the show, right. And since we're talking mm-hmm. about your art, uh, manifestation is big for me. And it's, it's, it's one of the main themes of the show. Uh, if you could. Tell me about the perfect scenario for you. This could be personal, professional, or both. What mm-hmm. What is something that you would like to manifest and say, I want all of these things to happen? And of course they will, but what What are some of those things that, that, that you dream of and that you visualize and that you're working towards right now? So I think they're all tied together, but the first thing I want, so like we met on Global Life, right? Um, right. So that's the platform that I created. So I want that to be my main source of income. Like I want to become, to do that only as my main job, right? Okay, so I um, want to cut you off, but talk about Global Life. <laughs> uh, so Global Life don't know. Is, for who doesn't know, it's the, it's the platform that I created with the one I retired, right? So in 2016, um, because of how hard a transition was, I figured, well, I can't be the only one that's going through this. So I wanted to create a space where athletes that are transitioning out of sports or already transitioning out of sports and really don't know what to do, had a space where they can get um, some counseling and consulting, right? So helping with creation of resumes, uh, interview coaching, um, courses, like how to upskill yourself, et cetera. Um, so it's been a work in progress over the years. <clears throat> I've helped a couple of my friends, you know, with the resumes and things like that, and they were able to get a job, but I still haven't figured out the right formula for this to become what I want it to be. Right. Um, I'm actually talking to like a business coach right now to try to help me figure out what's the best approach and things like that. So I want that to become my main business because that means okay. I can work from anywhere in the world, <laughs> which means I can move on somebody's island and chill um, yeah. and have a family. So that's my goal. Yes. Me, me too. That's <laughs> no, I, I want the same thing. <laughs> Well, there yeah, you go. Continue, so that's that's continue. what I'm manifesting. Okay. So you want global life to pop. Is there anything else besides moving to an island that is kind of stored away uh that that kind of jumps out to you at this moment? Or is that that's the thing? Like No, I mean life? the main thing for me, I definitely want a kid. That's that's being the main focus for me right now. Uh which is the reason why I want everything else to pop, right? So I can give this kid the life they want and deserve. Um, right. So yeah, making a family so that everything that I'm doing is for a reason and not just for sake of 
having money. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so we we towards the the back end. You know, I told you I wouldn't keep you long. So tell me what's <laughs> next. What's next for you? Like what what maybe some maybe some art events or what what's what's next for you? What are, Actually, uh, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to drop off a painting um, for our show that's going to be going on for two weeks here in Houston uh, at the Art Gallery. Um, And it's for Black Pride Month. So they asked artists from Houston Houston to just submit our work and one of my pieces was accepted. So doing that. um, And other than that, it's just work and trying to work on this global situation and get it you know, sort it out. But that I guess that's the main first thing that's happening is this art show. Well, you heard it. If you want to spruce up your restaurant or your home or your art show, holla at Abiola. Yeah. Matter of fact, while we're talking about that, drop your socials. You can drop your personal account if you want, but drop your, your business account and uh, we'll, we'll let the people know where they can find you. And then they're gonna tap in so they can, you know, get some of your services. Artistic yeah, for sure. services. I, I, I kept it super simple. Everything is art by Abiola on everything. Instagram, Twitter, and my website. All right, so you see it right here. Right, you know, I'm, I'm gonna put it on the screen, Abiola. I'm gonna make sure they see it nice and big. But ladies and gentlemen, listen, uh, excuse me, Abiola, thank you for coming on to the show thank you for allowing me to be on global life you know especially in its early stages and i just appreciate you for for giving me your time today i understand that time is an asset it's currency and, mm-hmm. and you spent you spent a lot with me today yeah no i appreciate you having me here and uh you know i was honored what you asked and i definitely was going to say yes like you said right reciprocity i, I don't know how to say that word but basically you were there for me when I started, so I definitely wanted to return the favor. And, you know, I listened to your very first podcast when you had the soft lunch. So I was yeah. excited to see that you were still running it and, you know, to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Consistency is key. I love doing this. I love talking to people such as yourself and I love your story. I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are many different facets we could have got into, but, you know, like I, I promise you, I wouldn't hold you all day. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up now. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just watched the episode with Abiola Wabara, a Baylor legend, a life legend, and just a great person. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know how we give it up when we get out of the show. It costs nothing to be good to someone. Be good to someone today. I'm Ralph Fields. She's Abiola Wabara. We out of here. Peace. Thank you. Bye.